0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, what lessons can Labour learn from Tony Blair's winning election campaign in 1997?
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard.
2: Good afternoon. The Prime Minister has gone to Buckingham Palace to ask the Queen to dissolve Parliament. When Mr Major gets back to Downing Street within the next hour, he's expected to confirm
1: the general election... It's March 1997, and the election that Britain has been waiting for for over a year has just been called. Good
2: morning. I'd like to formally confirm that I've seen Her Majesty the Queen this morning and sought her permission for a dissolution of Parliament and a general election on the 1st of May.
1: The Labour Party, of course, has been waiting for much longer than just a year. In fact, it has now been out of power for 18 and finally has a historic chance to re-enter Downing Street.
3: At long last, we're delighted the campaign's underway. I mean, of course, the choice will be between a Conservative Party that most people feel has run out of ideas and is out of date, and a new and revitalised Labour party.
1: Yesterday we heard how Labour prepared for this moment in the year before the election. The intense internal policy battles, the strict message discipline, and the newly built rapid rebuttal unit. Today, how it managed in those last six weeks to get over the line. And what, if anything, Keir Starmer can learn from that. From The Guardian, I'm Kieran Stacey. Today in Focus Labour and what it takes to win an election. Part 2. There's a danger when parties have been in opposition for so long that they start drowning in ideas, they overthink new policies, they send voters a barrage of offers. It's almost too much to take in. Well, As the 1997 election campaign got underway, Labour's communications chief Alastair Campbell was really aware of that danger. His plan was simplify everything.
4: We really started to focus on this idea of of having a very limited number of specific pledges that we were going to make the centrepiece of the campaign. We ended up on five. I think there was various talk about three and seven
3: and ten. And tonight I'm giving you just five examples of the pledges we will make, pointers to the type of change we want. In each case, we say what we will do and how we will pay for it.
4: There were big arguments about that. I remember at one point Gordon Brown saying, you know, it's too limiting. You can't say there's just gonna be five things that you're gonna do. Um, Having an argument with him and saying, well, we're not saying there's just five. We're saying these are the five that we're gonna focus on. I want you to know what kind of people
3: we are, what kind of government we'd be. I would also like to give you one of these cards. It spells out these early pledges that we're making tonight. Keep it so that you know what you are voting for. And if we win, keep it to make sure we deliver on what we promise. I mean, I felt that
5: for weeks, if not months, certainly day and night, the hammering out of these pledges just never stopped. People never gave up.
1: That's Peter Mandelson. At the time, he was the campaign chief.
5: People talk of an iterative process, crikey. I mean, this, this sort of iterated uphill, down dale, day and night, weekends in, weekends out. People had so many different ideas and formulations and priorities.
6: I remember the pledges as being a really agonising process.
1: David Miliband, he was the author of the 1997 manifesto.
6: Because every word mattered, every word about the policy, every word about how it would be paid for. And it was a real challenge for us as policymakers, policy advisors, because it had to be your sharpest policy, but it also had to be symbolic policies. It couldn't be the limit of what you did. People sometimes say now, well, you only promised five things. I mean, that's nonsense. The point of the five pledges was that they were symbolic of the different kind of country and different kind of politics that we wanted. Here is Peter Mandelson, whose
2: political career, I suppose, has been building up to this point in the Labour Party, has it? For 10 years or more, I think, uh, I've been uh,
5: waiting for this moment. Uh, but there's still six weeks, very hard work to do. We're going to earn every single vote we get on polling day on May the 1st. We think we can produce, create better schools from which everyone can benefit. The health service which is there. Uh... In the end, they were quite simple. They were class sizes reduced. They were fast-tracked punishment for persistent young offenders. The cutting of the waiting list in the NHS. There was the uh, windfall levy that would pay for under 25s to get them off benefit and into work. And then finally, the one that was hardest of all was the one that concerned the economy uh, and tax. That was eventually agreed after many, many formulations and a lot of backing and forthing between Tony and Gordon and their teams, the no rise in income tax the cut in VAT on heating, and then this sort of wonderful sort of broad aspirational statement in which uh, we said inflation and interest rates would be as low as possible. I'm not sure that we would get away with such a (laughs) lack of specificity now. (laughs)
2: Things, but these are generalizations. In six and a half weeks of campaign, yeah. you're going to get tested on each of those politics, yeah. policies to destruction, aren't good. you? Good, good, good. Well,
1: Gordon Brown may have found the pledge card limiting. David Miliband may have found its creation agonizing. But Labour MPs campaigning on the doorstep, like Harriet Harman, loved them.
3: They were things where actually we could all remember them, so that we knew what we were saying, and that they could remember them. So we all just over and over again just repeated these policy pledges to give people reassurance.
0: Across the nation there'll be a number of key battlegrounds. For the Conservatives, the aim is to hold the seats they already have, And they'd like to regain by-election losses like Newbury and Christchurch.
1: Labour's campaign got off to a really good start. And that high-stakes meeting with Rupert Murdoch in 1995, that paid off massively.
0: Gotcha. The Sun surprised everyone tonight with its backing for Blair. The Sun says the Tories are tired, divided and rudderless. Tony Blair is apparently a breath of fresh air.
3: Could you tell me what party you are going to be supporting in this election? I
5: will be supporting the Labour Party. Why is that? Because I hate the Tory Party.
1: (laughs) The Conservatives were trailing badly in the polls. But they did have one main line of attack, that Labour couldn't be trusted with the country's finances. Its promises would come back to bite you. Under Blair, they said taxes would have to rise. Without roots...
6: Labour are blown all over the place. Imagine what they'd be like in government. When spending pressures grow, Labour would collapse. This would mean higher taxes and higher mortgages.
1: Liam Byrne remembers it well.
6: There was this famous moment where the Tories landed their big spending bombshell thing, and that was the first real test of the rapid rebuttal system in action. And within three or four hours, we'd got out a full line by line. Rebuttal of it. And so the story then became not the Tories' bombshell, but, you know, my goodness, haven't Labour got their act together.
1: But it wasn't enough just to defend themselves against the Tories. Labour wanted to be more proactive than that. Although they mostly stuck to five simple policies to remember, they also wanted to dominate the news agenda, what they called the media grid, as much as they could. So if there was a day where there was no big speech or event planned, they'd come up with something as a way of getting attention.
6: Uh, We had time to invent the National Endowment for Science, Technology and the Arts because we had a space on the grid. Sorry, you
1: invented that because you had a space on the grid. How did you manage to do that?
6: Well, there was a space on the grid. And so our task was, you better come up with something really good because we've got to have something (laughs) new to say. The proceeds of the Millennium Lottery had not been allocated. So we suddenly thought, right, what are we going to spend this on? And it was £250 million, so it was not a joke.
1: (laughs)
3: My goodness, look at this.
1: Good afternoon. And it seemed to be working. Labour MPs across the country could say that they really started to feel something happening. Tell me about the campaign then. What was it like on the doorstep? Were people excited?
3: It was absolutely phenomenal. All you had to do is put on a Labour rosette, get off a train at some station at what was regarded as a marginal seat, and people would come up to you in the street and say, we're voting for Tony Blair. So, you know, you could hardly get to the door to knock on the door to ask people what they were going to vote because they'd, like, throw open the doors when they saw you were in their road and say, we're going to vote for you. It was an incredible time of affirmation. It was like, we're going to have you now, and we want you to do what the country needs. Oh, we've got some Tories over there. No, no. No, no. I'm all in favour of endangered species.
6: I do remember on the day before the election, we were all dismissed and sent off to unwinnable seats. I went to Enfield Southgate, where Stephen Twigg was a candidate, and I, I walked up this enormously long drive with him it was a street with house names rather than numbers so not typical labor heartland and the person at the door the woman at the door was just you know yeah i'm with you i want portillo out and i thought oh my goodness this is (laughs) something really there's something really happening
2: live at five with
6: bob friend and lisa aziz
3: very good afternoon to you. For the past 45 days, they've had their say. In 14 hours from now, you'll be able to have yours. The party In my own constituency, today, which I only on was campaign. in briefly on election day in 1997, literally there was queues at the polling station. This was in Camberwell and Peckham, which was a safe Labour seat. There was no question of it changing hands. Yet people were like in droves queuing to vote.
6: Well, the Labour leader has finally come home to the tranquillity of County Durham after the longest and most relentless election campaign in modern
3: times. But I think that the moment when the exit poll came out that just, you know, blew all the swingometers off the chart.
2: There it is, 10 o'clock, and we say, Tony Blair is to be Prime Minister and a landslide is likely. And reaction from Sedgefield already down there on the right in the Labour Club. All applauding there. Conservative Party headquarters, rather more sombre scenes. ...to serve as the member for the Sunderland South constituency. And this is the swing, the key figure we're waiting for, an 11% swing from Conservative to Labour, and that broadly confirms what our exit poll was telling us, we're in line for a Labour Labour landslide.
1: It's funny, listening back to that footage, I remember that election night broadcast. It was the first election that I'd stayed up for. And the kind of excitement around that time, I think, was one of the things that made me interested in politics in the first place. I remember as the results were coming in from constituencies all over. There were old Labour heartlands. There were supposedly safe Southern Tory seats. There were... Midland marginals, it was just Labour win after Labour win.
2: That tells it all, the smile on her face. This is a seat that's never fallen to Labour. Crosby should be safe for the Conservatives. Falls on an 18% swing from Conservative to Labour. So Basildon deserts the Conservatives and goes Labour. And just look at the swing in Basildon. The
4: night itself you know, I remember there was one part of the night when we were at Sedgefield at the count. It was a few hours after the first seats had, had declared, and there was just a succession of Labour gain, Labour gain, Labour gain. I remember Tony at one point turned to me and said, You know, what have we done here? He says, You know, at this rate, there could be none of them left. And I remember saying, well, That'd be quite good, wouldn't it?
2: Let's uh, now hear from John Simpson, who's with Alistair Campbell. John.
4: We'd agreed that Tony would do an interview with John Simpson on the BBC. And Tony's said, oh, I really don't want to do it. I've really got other stuff to do. So I ended up doing it.
6: Alistair,
4: you've won, haven't you? Well, Mr Blair's constituency is not yet declared, but uh, I think we're having a pretty good night. I don't know what was wrong with me, but I just would not. I think I must have been clinically depressed. I just would not engage in the enthusiasm at all. I was like still in campaign mode. I was like, no, it's too early to call. Saying, Possible majority of 171. Well, I would doubt that, but I think it's fair to say we've had a very good campaign we're having a very good night. And he was saying, look, you've won a landslide victory. It's, you know, so I as like, no, 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 it's, let's not be complacent. Let's wait till all the results are in. They sound very downbeat, Labour
2: tonight, as though they weren't quite sure. Perhaps they know something that we don't know, but I can't believe it. But very cool.
1: But as the night went on, even Tory cabinet ministers were losing their seats.
2: And Michael Portillo has a swing of 17.5% against him.
1: It was impossible to ignore, even for Alastair Campbell.
4: It was going to be a landslide night before that, I'd phoned home, and I remember my son, Callum, you know, he was still kind of young, and I remember him saying, are we going to win? And there was something about the way he said it, that we, because I'd barely been home for like, you know, weeks and months, and I just said, yeah, I think we are, and I just started crying, and it was like, that was the first time that I allowed myself to say, yeah, I think we're going to win.
2: landslide sweeps Blair into Downing Street major steps down and finds time to watch some cricket Tony Blair was carried into Downing Street today on a political landslide and on a wave of labor jubilation he'd have a majority in the Commons of 179 Labour's best result ever
6: we were pretty stunned Uh, it was pretty uh, pretty extraordinary and then the festival Hall Sun comes out new dawn has broken so it was pretty pretty amazing, pretty special.
2: A new dawn has broken, has it not?
1: After a long journey down south, Blair, along with many of his top team, would finally get to celebrate in front of thousands of supporters at the Royal Festival Hall in London, as the sun came up over the Thames on May the 2nd, 1997. We always said
3: that if we had the courage to change, then we could do it. And we did it. It was euphoric. You know, if you've been dedicating yourself 24-7 from 1982 to having a Labour government again, it was like Tony said, is that it's no longer the time to talk, this is the time to do. Suddenly, we weren't just complaining, we could put things into action so that we didn't just have to complain about Clause 28, you know, which prevented any discussion of homosexuality in schools. We could just abolish it. Tony then was saying to us, look, don't be doing any celebrating. And I was like, not celebrating, (laughs) you know. I've been in opposition since 1982. I have voted in that division lobby and never once won a vote from 1982 to 1997 And now we've got a landslide and I'm not to celebrate.
2: We have been elected as New Labour and we will govern as New Labour.
1: So that's how Labour did it in 1997. Coming up, what do those who are around Blair say about how Labour can replicate what they managed to pull off? 26 years later, the cast of characters who are close to Blair is still around and they're still influential. They are MPs, they're members of the House of Lords and some are confidence of the current Labour leader, Keir Starmer. So what advice do they all have for
4: him? I think you've got to be very, very careful not to over-interpret previous campaigns. I think you've, you've really got to write your own look, the, the similarities and some of the comparisons are obvious and they're going to be made. But it's a long time ago now. I mean, you know, I was in Cambridge recently and this kid came up to me on the street and said, oh, God, I can't believe you're there. Can I, do you mind if I sit down and talk to you? Because I'm actually writing a dissertation about New Labour's communication strategy right now. And I said, yeah, fine. Okay, so we sat down and had a chat. And so at the end, of the end of it, I said, so what's it like, the you know, the politics course here? He says, oh, I don't do politics, I do history. <laughs> so- <laughs> I basically want to issue a very
6: strong caution. I think that uh, the caution has two elements. One, this isn't the 90s. 2023 is not 96. Uh, the condition of the country, the condition of the economy, the condition of politics is different and secondly, there's got to be modesty. We didn't get everything right, and it, it can't become a template that just becomes the, the the way of doing everything. I would never say that. I think that um, you can learn from it, but I, I'm very struck that some of the challenges facing the country are much more like the 70s than the 90s, and that some of the opportunities are much more like the 60s than they were the 70s. So I hope that those of us who were there in the... 90s, don't fall into the trap of saying that there's only one way to do this. I think
1: David Miliband is saying something really interesting there, which is this. The economy's not in the same place it was in 1996. So don't be as cautious as we were in 1996. If things aren't going well, you actually have to say how you're going to change things if you want to win an election. And I think that's the concern a lot of people that I spoke to had about Keir Starmer, If he is aping Tony Blair, is it possible he's only learnt one part of the story? These retreats, whether it's the benefit cap or on income tax or universal childcare or even green technology, well, he might be reassuring, but is he being radical?
4: Look, Keir's done an amazing job to get from where Labour were in 2019, where the argument was, can Labour ever win again, to the argument now being, you know, how can Labour lose this? Uh, That is quite a big thing to have done. But at the same time, I sometimes worry that the the paranoia that we had, we also had alongside it an absolute determination to be making the weather all the time. So the other thing that comes through, I think, we were not happy if we were not making the news and we weren't making the weather and we weren't actually being attacked, because sometimes being attacked is the only way that you can get out there and and make your case and And that's the bit where I think um labor need you know to be doing more.
1: Of course, we're still maybe a year away from polling day. And as everybody I spoke to said to me, Labour in 96 were not sure whether they were ready for government either. But as I walk round Westminster today, I find something curious. Just like in 1996 and early 1997, if you want to find someone who's absolutely convinced that Labour's going to win the next election, talk to a Tory MP. The Labour MPs are all far too scarred from previous campaigns to let themselves believe that they're really headed for victory. Well, all of them apart from one.
3: Tory MPs, when I say, you know, well, what are you going to do about this or what are you going to do about that? And they'll say, oh, that's for you to sort out when you're in government. So they are talking about they're already in the zone of Labour in government. But our frontbench team and our MPs are not in that zone because they know there is the hurdle to get over, which is a general election. However, as an MP who's retiring, I feel incredibly optimistic. I somehow don't feel I have to be anxious and apprehensive. I really do feel that we've got every chance of winning. So I'm definitely going to be celebrating this time.
1: That's it for today. My thanks to Peter Mandelson, to Alistair Campbell, David Miliband... Harriet Harman and Liam Byrne. You can follow Keir Starmer's speech and the rest of Labour's party conference here in Liverpool as it happens on theguardian.com. I'll be back to discuss it all tomorrow. I'm Kieran Stacey. This episode was produced by Lucy Huff and Sammy Kent. The sound designer was Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. Thanks for listening.